it is good to be back. Thank you all uh, for, for coming back. Had a great week off last week. Thanks for all your prayers. The, the trip went smooth to Italy um, and uh, saw some really cool stuff. But the main thing that we got to do was spend some time together with family and and with two of my sons and with Sherry, and, and that, that, was a, that was a great, great trip. Missed you guys. Hopefully y'all had a good Wednesday. Uh, we're going to start back in, um, with the Steve Farrar's book, Finishing Strong. Today's going to be Finishing Strong Part 8, uh, Chapter 8. And, and today we're going to be talking about um, something that when you're, especially dealing with men, uh, we don't like to talk about a lot, and that's failure. Today, today will actually be a discussion about failure um, and, and I look at one of the great quotes that, that was here from, from Steve Farrar, and, and this was a quote that says, He who has never failed cannot be great because failure is the true test of greatness. How do you respond to failure? Uh, there, there's been so many times, and those of you that maybe have done some coaching or maybe you've done teaching and, and, and had that opportunity, and have you ever had a team or had players, and you started thinking to yourself, people say, well, how, do you, how are they? I said, I don't know. I, they really haven't been put in anything at, that would be an adversarial situation yet. I don't know how they're going to respond. Uh, if they get down, if they get in trouble, if they get behind, we don't know how, if they'll be able to handle that or not. And usually that's an indicator of who somebody is and on how they're able to, uh, to handle failure. Now, our, our example for failure today, uh, and uh, this might surprise you a little bit, but uh, the example for failure today is Moses. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, these different periods of Moses' life, um, and, and we'll kind of ask ourselves, you know, uh, some of some of you, I promise you, when when I was studying this, and some of you probably already have, I promise you, there's people in this room, and then there's people listening too. But I know people in this room are individual situations. We're all in. This is a message designed for you today. Uh, it's going to speak to a lot of people in this room today. I promise you. So let's open up with prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Uh, thank you for uh, the example uh, that that Moses uh, is for us today. Uh, Lord, we, we, we'll identify with a lot of things with Moses today. I hope we can identify with some of the positive things about Moses, not just the negative. But, Lord, thank you for once again uh, reminding us today that there's really nothing great about any, uh, anyone other than you. Uh, you're what's great. We're, we are not. And I pray, Lord, today that you'll teach us this, this most valuable lesson as you take us uh, uh, and, and even invite us many times to, 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 to earn a degree in something that none of us want, and that, that's how to handle failure in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, uh, so let's talk about Moses. Uh, first of all, let's get updated on what's happening in, uh, with, with Moses in his life. We know the part about what happened to him when he was a child. Uh, we certainly understand that. Uh, but let's, let's kind of run down what was going on in Moses' life. At this time, he's a grown man, so... So we, we, get, we, we can break down Moses' life to the first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the third 40 years, because he lived 120 years. Um, and the first 40 were fantastic. The first 40 years of, of his life, he really had it all. At 39, Moses had power, prestige, education, wealth, and a career that, it, it, well, how we would describe it, you know, the way we live now, um, of unbelievable potential. Uh, uh, at 39 years old, going into his 40th birthday, by the standard of everyone in this room and the standard of the country we live in, we would say Moses is a successful man. Because uh, you have to think about everything here. He's, he was adopted into the wealthiest family in Egypt. Uh, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He went to the very best schools. Uh, if you think about here, we would say he had an MBA. He had a PhD. Uh, he was a highly decorated military leader. 
Moses, by virtue of his military leadership and his membership into the house of Pharaoh, was possibly, people talk about this historically, that he could have actually been a, a choice to one day be Pharaoh himself uh, over Egypt. He, uh, but, but we know what happened, and that was uh, something that altered his life uh, forever, and that was the instance that changed everything. And, and do we know what that is? Uh, when he murdered uh, a man that was beating one of the Hebrew slaves, and when that happened, Everything changed. And, you know, you, we can all think in here, times of our life where you say, okay, that was the moment of my life that I didn't see coming. I thought I had my life planned out. I thought I knew how it was going to go. And then in an instant, with one act in my life, one thing that, that I did or one thing I didn't do or something catastrophic that happened changed everything. And we can certainly say that uh, about Moses because once he killed uh, one of the Egyptians who was beating one of his Hebrew brothers, uh, that's when it all went south for that second phase of Moses' life, which we'll talk about a lot today. Moses uh, had, had, the, had the BA, the MBA, the PhD, but what he lacked, and this is something that Steve Farrar talks about, is an MCA. And, and I thought this was beautiful. It's one of the toughest degrees of all. And, uh, and many times, God will do whatever he has to do to give us the MCA, and that is a master's in character acquisition. A, master, a master's degree in character acquisition. And uh, what, what he had planned for, for Moses was going to require him to try to earn this degree. So what are some things in our life uh, that will put us in a position that we're trying to earn an MCA, a master's and character acquisition. Uh, could be bankruptcy. Could be some moral failure in, in, in your life. Uh, it could be a divorce. Uh, it could be uh, drugs, alcohol addiction. Uh, it could be for, I mean, I, the, the four years we've been in here, uh, just about every one of these that I'm listing right now, I've talked to men uh, or several, uh, one man or several men over the years, this next one especially, a career change. Hey, man, I, I thought this was what I was going to be doing. I, I, I thought this was the rest of my life, and I, I could see where I was going, how I was going to move up the ladder, and I pretty much figured out my kids have gotten grown, and and, and, I'm, and all of a sudden I'm getting toward, I mean, I'm looking at my age. I guess, I guess I'm kind of beyond some big career change, and then, bam, it happens. And you're like, what, what, what happens now? So that's where we have to learn these masters in character acquisition. So... We talked about Moses living the 120 years, and we divide his life into three parts. Uh, first was unqualified success, what I just talked about. His middle 40s, which we'll get into today, undisputed failure. And then his last 40, uh, he was fit for the master's use. Now, there's something that I took away from this Bible study that I did not know. And it even led to my wife and I having a bit of a discussion um, and, and because, you know, whenever I, I think about something biblically to try to figure out whether I'm right or not, I talk to my wife about that usually, uh, and we go back and forth. How many of you are like me? And this is not good. You don't want to be like me on this, but uh, set your goals much higher, please. But, but I thought that Moses, his realization that he was going to lead his people out from under slavery was the burning bush. That, that's the first time that was ever considered. Well, Stephen actually tells us in the book of Acts that's not correct. Uh, now, he, he had his timing all wrong, 
But Moses actually thought because of this unqualified success that that's exactly what he was going to do. Uh, and, and Stephen tells us this. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, let's go to Acts uh, chapter 7. And, and you might remember us. I just kind of skimmed over this in all fairness. We were studying the book of Acts. I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to it. But look at uh, verses 24, 25, and then 26 through 29. I'll read the first two first. Here's what Stephen says in that, that great uh, speech that ended up costing him his life to be martyred. But here's what he said about Moses. He said, and uh, when, uh, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Look at 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So wait a minute. So when he killed the Egyptian, he thought he was about to lead his people out from under the slavery? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought it was, it, 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 it didn't, I thought he was just had no idea about any of this to the burning bush. No, the reason why the burning bush is so significant is he had come to the conclusion that wasn't going to happen because of the 40 years he spent in Midian as a shepherd, which we'll get into when he had to flee for his life. No, he thought this was going to happen, and that's the problem that we have so many times. Even when we think we were figuring out what God's call is on our life, is we start thinking, those of us that have these certain types of personality, and I would be one of these, sadly, uh, that start thinking, well, I fully understand what God's doing, and I'm going to get ahead of him, and I'll go ahead and make, I, hey, I know where you're going. And then, you know, and that's the biggest problem that I've had really throughout my life studying many things. And my wife has, has helped me with this because she's a great studier and researcher. I'm not because you know what I do? I, in my arrogance, if I get far enough along in something, I'll go, I know where this is going. Oh, I know, I know what the lesson is here. And I'll just apply what I think the lesson is and move on. And many times, I needed to read on. And so Moses thinks he's got the idea of how this is going to go, but he's wrong. He's completely wrong. And then, of course, when, when it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, then you start doubting, was that what was God was telling me at all? That's why we needed the burning bush. And, and because Moses actually thought that he was going to do this now, uh, but he was completely wrong. Uh, so look, look, at, look, look at also what, what it says about, about Moses. I love this, and this sounds... Sadly, a lot like uh, I can be sometimes. He said, he, look at 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Well, God may use us, but salvation is going to come by God's hand, not by Moses' hands. But Moses, remember, now this is the first 40 years of his life when he's got it going on. So Moses thinks, I am the man for the job. See, I'd always looked at Moses as being a person who always felt like he wasn't the man for his job. Well, no, no, that, that's because of the 40 mid-years. That's when he started thinking he's not the man for the job. Right now, in the first half of his life, he, think he's, he thinks he's absolutely the man for the job. But what he doesn't understand is, but he's trying to do it in a way that is not effective. He's certain that he knows what to do better than God does. You ever been there? I certainly have. I certainly have, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into today on how to keep that from happening in our lives. Uh, but anyway, so look at the, the next part, because verse 25 makes it clear 
that at the age of 40 that he knew he had been chosen by God to deliver Israel. He was dead right about the task, but here's the key, dead wrong about the timing. You ever been there? I'm dead. You're, you're right about what, what you think God's calling you to do, but your timing is all wrong. Gosh, I've been there. I mean, I'm going to tell you what, I, 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 would, I would be embarrassed to go back and hear the first time I got up and said, I guess God wants me to get up and start speaking. I mean, I, I, I'm so glad that's not recorded, and if it's recorded, I hope I never hear it. Because I, can't, I, I think about the things that even in the last 10 years of my life where I look back and I go, ooh, I wish I'd have waited a little longer to speak on that topic. You know, or you ever had an older man come to, to you and put you aside and say, hey, you're, you're a little bit off on this. You know, I remember, I, I remember one time I had spoke um, when the first probably five times that I had ever spoken after I became a follower of Christ. And I did, I did have it right that, 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 that even the pastor says, you know, God's going to use this platform that he's given you, and you need to understand that, that you're, you could have access to one of the biggest churches and at this time it was just in one state, in Alabama, and you need to learn how to talk about your faith within the type of show you're doing. And I was like, okay, I, so do you think that's right? And I started, hey, I think that's right. But the problem is I needed to shut up until I was able to actually talk about who God was correctly. And so, but I had good stories and testimony, but I didn't understand Scripture very good. And I remember that I got up and I spoke, and, 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 and I remember an elderly lady was standing in line, and people were coming by, and they were talking to me, and I thought, man, I've really killed it tonight. And, 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 so, and so she walked up to me, and she said, I, I need to tell you something from the Lord. And I thought, okay. And she said, you need to know Scripture. What you presented tonight was certainly entertaining, and, and I certainly can take something away, but I didn't hear much Scripture at all. And God told me to tell you, you need to know His Word. And, and, and she was right. I, I didn't know much, but I mean, that, that doesn't mean I couldn't tell you that I used to be this way and now I'm this way because of Jesus, but I was trying to step off into an area that God wasn't ready for me to step into. I, mean, I was taking more responsibility than I should have been given, and God had not given me all the responsibility that I thought I was ready for, so my, 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 I was right on his call on my life, but I was wrong about the time. And, and Moses had the same problem. So, but then look at this, and if you don't believe that, this will tell you what happened with his, what Farrar calls a 40-year miscalculation. Because look what happens next with his own people. So you would think that Moses says, my people are going to love me because I stepped in and I killed an Egyptian who was beating one of our brothers, so th they'll probably want to make me leader. But look what happens in, in 26 through 29. Uh, it says, and, and on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling, and he tried to reconcile them. So he comes up, his own people now are quarreling. He thinks, well, I'm the leader now. So he walks up to them. He says, men, you are brothers. Why, are you, uh, why do you wrong each other? But listen to 27. But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over this? And look at 28, God confirming that what he did was the wrong thing to do. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? What are you going to do? Are you going to start killing everybody if we don't agree with you? So see, that's confirmation that Moses has the right call, but he has the wrong timing. And when Moses hears that, look at 29. And this retort, uh, at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So Stephen says, 
the first 40 years were great, but I got to tell you, a turn t took place with Moses, and it's when he decided to kill that Egyptian and thought that was the time that he was going to get them to follow them. And, and if you notice, it says there's a kind of self-confidence that Farrar talks about, there's, and, there, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Self-confidence and self-esteem in and of itself can actually be healthy. It really can, and it can also be good. But there's an excessive self-confidence that's harmful to one's spiritual health. And let me tell you something. I have been an example of that. So how do you tell the difference? So if I've got self-esteem and, and I've got self-confidence, how do I know if it's healthy or how do I know if it's sinful? And it's pretty clear to know the difference. The one that's wrong is usually characterized by the lack of prayer. We're so confident and we have so much self-esteem, we don't bother God with the plan. We think we're going to do it because we're so confident. And we, I'm very confident in myself. I have a lot of, I know I can handle this. And it says, and here's the deal, we're not sure that we really need to depend on him. See, that, that's the wrong kind of self-esteem. That's the wrong kind of self-confidence when we think that we really don't need God. Even if we're saying that our self-confidence and our self-esteem is a gift from God, hey, that's the way he made me, man. I, I, got, I, I got confidence and I got self-esteem, and that's great. That, those are healthy things. I'm thankful, you know, as, as my wife has had to tell me many times, she said, but what you have to understand, there's a difference between confident and cocky. She, she said that. She said, I will tell you that women are drawn to confident men, but we're repulsed by cocky men. And, uh, and, 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 and so what's, what's the difference? Is, is it bathed in prayer? We should, men, and I'm going to tell you, this is talking to you as a brother who, who's just now learning how to do this. Get on your face before the Lord and bathe everything in prayer, in much prayer. You know, and what I tended to do was I would only pray about these catastrophic things. You know, if God got me in a place where I was so desperate, I'll pray. But if I'm just kind of going through something I think, oh, I, I'm sure this is what he wants me to do. I had a guy say this the other day, and I, I thought it was dead wrong. I, I, I certainly understand that there's things the Bible say, says that are clear. Right, like I don't have to pray about whether I'm supposed to commit adultery or not. I certainly agree with that. But he almost said like there was something we were going to do, and it was a good thing. And he says, well, I don't see why we would bathe that in prayer. It's so obvious that's the right thing to do. And I said, yeah, but this is not a moral decision. This is still a decision and it, has, it had to do with our spiritual health and our growing and, and, and putting together something. It was, it was going to be a ministry plan, but I said, no, no, just because it's ministry doesn't mean it, that, it needs to be bathed in prayer probably more than anything. And he was like, but this is just so simple. This is about people getting together. I said, no, this, we, we need to make sure. There's many times that, there, uh, that people can sit across from you and everything they're saying is 100% biblically correct, but that don't mean you're called to it. That does not mean that's what God's calling you to. And, and so, so we want to bathe it in prayer. So remember, self-esteem, self-confidence, they're fine as long as they're bathed in prayer and they're still fully dependent on God. You understand? Everybody with me on that? So here, and John 15, 5 really sums this up, and this is kind of one of our theme verses today. When we, when I, and I wrote this in capital letters, and I hope you will too. Not the whole thing. I'll tell you what part I put in capital. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. So, so, so are we the vine? No. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me. Now, we've talked about abiding 
and what that means for four years in here, but some of y'all hadn't been here four years, so I'll share it with you. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does that mean? That, that's not a casual situation. That means I'm always in the arms of Christ. I'm always under the authority of Christ. I'm always at the foot of the cross. I'm abiding in Jesus. I don't take him and put him on the shelf and then go back and get him whenever I think I need. I don't really need Jesus right now. We're always walking in step with Jesus under his authority. He is never without us, and we're never without him. So he says, those who abide in me and I in him, it's he who bears much fruit. Now think about what that is. That's important. I'm the vine, you're the branches, and if you're abiding in me correctly, you will, not you might or I hope you will, you will bear much fruit. How do I know if I'm abiding in Jesus? You bearing any fruit? Again, remember what we talk about all the time. You know why you bear fruit if you abide in Jesus? Because of Jesus. I mean, you realize what we're saying if we say there's somehow I can abide in Jesus. It just doesn't do anything to me. You hear me talk about that all the time. we got to stop that attitude. That's blasphemy. So Jesus is so weak, I abide in the power of Jesus that nothing's produced from it. And it's he who produces it. It's not us. But, but, but our part is to abide in him. And then here's what I love. This is what I wrote in capital letters. Probably should have wrote bears much fruit in capital letters, so go ahead and do that. But here's what I wrote in capital letters. Apart from me, all capital right now, you can do nothing. That's big. So, so anybody in here, including me, that thinks that we can do anything without Christ, that's, you've been deceived. I've been deceived. Because Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch, abide in me, you'll bear fruit, because apart from me, you can't do anything. Write that down. So excessive self-confidence doesn't really believe the last phrase. Excessive the sinful kind of self-confidence doesn't really believe that if I don't abide in Jesus, I can't do anything. You know what the, the sinful, self-confident person says? And I've been this guy. Well, I can accomplish things. I need Jesus to accomplish some things, but I certainly don't need him to accomplish everything. And, and I've done things without Jesus. And see, so that's, that, that's sinful. Because I assure you, the only thing that's good about anybody who follows Jesus is Jesus. Amen. It isn't us. And, uh, and so, so let's, let's make sure that we master that. Because, and I like this part, because some of you, I'm now going to go one more challenge, go a little more step, because you may say, well, I'm not, I don't have excessive self-confidence, Rick, because, because you know, I, I absolutely believe that without Jesus, I, I, I can't do anything. Okay, but do you just believe it intellectually? Ooh, watch out. See, now we're getting deeper with it. Do you just believe that intellectually? Do you in your mind go, yeah, I think that's true. But do we see it? Do, do we see it? You might intellectually believe it, but you don't really believe it when it comes to the experiences we see in your life or you see in my life. Because what do we always say? If you really want to know what somebody believes, it's what actually happens. It's what they actually do. Because there's a lot of things about Jesus that I have believed intellectually a long time. But there's very few things that I have believed that you could actually see other than the last 15 years of my life. But I believed it intellectually long before then. 
But it wasn't until I submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ and truly, sincerely repented of sin and said, I belong to you. My yes is on the table. I am wretched. You change me. Now, after that, what I believed intellectually actually started to produce itself as being really believed. You understand what I'm saying? So Moses knew, Moses knew why God had placed him in the position of power. He knew it. But he blew it because he only knew it intellectually. Now the good news is Moses' life, this is not the end of Moses' life. And that's what you and I got to understand. Because what the adversary wants you and I to think, if you're sitting in here that you've blown it, it's over. Well, you blew it. Man, I'm glad we don't serve that kind of God. You know, well, I gave you a shot. Now certainly there's going to come a time when we either die our earthly death our, our Lord is going to take that faucet of grace and mercy in the church age and cut it off, that, that's going to happen at some point, one of those two things. But as long as you're taking air, and as long as he hadn't come back to take his church yet, he still can, can, can change you. He can still change me. He can still take the mess you've made in your life and actually use you in a way that will glorify him. I promise you that. I'm, I'm, you're, I'm standing here right now. I'm, a, I'm an example of that. I have done so many things that should have been it. Well, that's it. You blew it. I mean, and, and, and of course the adversary says, that's it. Don't let him talk to you that way. Okay, he, he's crushed on the cross. He's crushed when Jesus walked out of that tomb. He's nothing but an adversary now. He's nothing but a liar. Because if he was telling the truth, I assure you, Moses would be done. We wouldn't hear the rest of the story if Satan had his way. So, so now we find Moses in a full-blown midlife crisis. So he's had to flee now, and maybe you've been there, or maybe you're there right now. Think about this. He went from the palace to the pasture, from success to failure, from wealth to poverty, from significance to insignificance, from privilege to persecution, from freedom to a felon, and from a purpose in life to no purpose whatsoever. That's where he was. I, I love when, 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 uh, when we look at, at Moses at 40, all the things that he had to change, he had a change of address. And, and all this that I just told you, but one thing he hit that really made me think about this, because he also had to change, and some of y'all have to do this, he had a change of vocation. Is there anything scarier than that? Having to change of vocation? We kind of like the comfort of we know what we do for a living, Right? Well, all of a sudden, Moses goes to shepherd, leader of men to leader of sheep. But see, what we have to understand is when it, when it comes to God, there's no vocation that is insignificant. There isn't. You know, he can use the shepherd the same way he can use the leader of, of, of all these people and the person of power. He certainly uses people of influence and power, but he also uses people that the world says doesn't have any influence or power or doesn't have influence or power. So here's Moses. You've heard of overnight success. You're looking at Moses right now as an overnight failure. Y'all realize it was just one act, that, and that can happen, guys. Just, just one bad decision can take your whole life and put it in a completely different situation. Now Moses is in Midian, and he's a shepherd of sheep out in a pasture, and um, in Moses' case, now some of you may have been through this. I, I saw this happen with my father. 
But in Moses' case, he had a change of status that did not happen gradually. I mean, it's one thing for it to happen gradually where you don't even really realize it. It's, it's, it's another thing to be in Moses' situation. His status changed in a hurry. That's one extreme to another in a very short period of time. Winston Churchill uh, had a similar situation. How many of you are familiar with, with uh, Winston Churchill? You know, Winston Churchill, if you remember, of course, at one time, uh, I mean, people considered him to be, you know, one of the greatest men in, in history as far as, you know, leading people. You know what happened with World War II. Listen to this speech, and it was wonderful when he got on the radio. Keep in mind, the, the Germans... They were just going in and taking over, and of course Britain had been so intimidated by Hitler that there were petitions being circulated at Oxford and Cambridge that Britain should just surrender to Hitler. Hey, we can't beat him. We, we just let's just cut our losses. Maybe they'll be nice to us. Let, let's just surrender. And so it looked like that uh, the Germans were unstoppable with that war machine that Hitler had put together. So Britain, in this case, you ever been in this situation where you're just beat psychologically? You may not be beat physically yet, but psychologically you're beat. And that's where Britain was. And so Churchill gets on BBC radio, and he says, Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life. And the long continuing of our institutions and our empire, Hitler knows that he will have to break us on this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into a broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of the perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. By the power of his will and the personality that God gave him, one historian said Churchill transformed cowards into brave men. Cowards into brave men. And of course, five years later, on May 7, 1945, Germany surrendered to the Allied forces. And how did Britain show their thanks to the man who had single-handedly restored their resolve and determination? On July 25th, not quite three months after Germany's defeat, the nation showed their thanks to this great man by voting him out of office. That happens pretty quick, doesn't it? So, so here is a nation that really owed their gratitude to the man who certainly you, you, he didn't go out and single-handedly fight the battles like the, the, the men did, but he was the one that inspired the nation to fight. And they turned around and voted him out of office. And if he had not you know, taken that role and led them, what would have happened? But, but, their, but their gratitude to him was quickly fading. See, that's the problem with us looking for the applause of the world. I've told you that story many times about, you know, how you see that a lot if you're ever dealing with athletics, how quickly the crowd will quit cheering if you don't win, or they just tire of you. How many times has my dad said so perfectly when we were on the field, 
when they were naming a stadium after him, when they started a public relations program to try to heal the wounds of my dad being fired after he had had so much success at Jacksonville State University. And my dad, in all great humility, leans over to me during the ceremony and says, isn't this odd that they're naming a stadium after me? It's the very same people who fired me. See, that's the world. And I'll tell you about this vocation change, which, which reminds me, you know, the, the Bible says that, that Moses actually became uh, the most humble man. By the way, that's going to be the middle 40 years that accomplishes that. And I remember my dad, and that's why I don't have any respect for men who are too proud. You know, they, they think their status, they're embarrassed that their status has changed so they won't go take certain jobs because they think certain jobs are beneath them. They'd rather their family starve and their house be foreclosed on than just go make a living because they've lost their status. And I saw my dad with, with pictures in the paper, billboards in the town, won the national championship, one of the winningest coaches in Jacksonville State football history, stadium named after him. When they fired him and his contract was uncertain on if he was going to get any severance or anything, he went to work at Walmart in the very same town he won the national championship. Now who, how many men you know that would do that? That showed you my dad couldn't care less about status. See, a lot of men would have been so proud. I can't be seen at Walmart as a greeter. Man, I was the head football coach at the stadium. I mean, I, I won the national championship. But what he didn't want is for my mother to miss a check. He didn't know. They didn't make the kind of money then that he could have just walked away and said, I never have to work another day in my life. He needed to work. But a lot of men wouldn't have gone to work at Walmart because they wouldn't have wanted to lose their status. But humble men don't act that way. And so here is, is Moses finding himself in this situation. So we'll go through four things, and I'll try to get them in before we quit. Moses will now go to the desert for 40 years, and we'll talk about four things. Unemployment 101, advanced obscurity, remedial waiting, and intermediate loneliness. So first of all, unemployment 101. It attacks a man's self-worth. When, when you lose your job, or you no longer have the job you once had, somebody fires you, whatever, you start feeling like that you don't have any men. That's the way men are made. There's nothing wrong with that. But too many times we get that bent to think what we do for a living defines who we are. And that's incorrect. But a man does lose his self-worth when he finds himself out of a job. Can I tell you, if you're listening right now, or you're in this room, and you are currently out of a job, this does not mean that God has put you on the shelf. God, God didn't need whatever job you had last to use you. What, matter of fact, he may be preparing you so you can really be used by the fact you don't have this job anymore. And, and the other thing is, all he is doing, he is not removing you, he's retooling you. Do you believe that? If you're a follower of, uh, of Christ, you've submitted his authority, you, you have been redeemed, and all of a sudden you look up. I'm, I, one of all the guys in here, we've been talking about this because I've prayed with a lot of you over and over again about these different job situations. Talked with a brother yesterday. You know what we do? is we celebrate when a door closes. We celebrate it. You know why? Because we prayed about it. And God said, I know this better than you do. You prayed for this job to stay. I'm telling you it's the wrong thing. I'm moving you. I'm retooling you. 
uh, you're going to see. So, it, it may not be when you want to see it, but I'm I, I'm right. Now, if you get in a situation you ain't prayed for, well, then I don't know what to tell you. But if you've been sitting there at the foot of the cross and you've been Jesus Christ has been petitioning your knees before the Father, and you you lose a job or you didn't get a job, you praise the Lord you didn't, because He's doing what He's doing is right. What He did to Moses right here is right, and what He's doing to you is right. Advanced obscurity. Moses went from being somebody, uh, and then all of a sudden, before you know it. He's nobody. Nobody cares who Moses is now. He's a shepherd in Midian. That's it. And I love this. <laughs> when, uh, when oh, on page, uh, if you have, well, I'll, if you have your Bible, go to Exodus two sixteen through twenty two. Exodus two sixteen through twenty two. I thought this was uh, hilarious. Is all we hear about that forty years is six verses. You know why? They ain't nothing to talk about. Moses' life for 40 years gets six verses in the Bible because there's nothing to report. 40 years. Here's all we get on the mid-40. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water uh, their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them. Does that sound familiar? And watered their flock. And, and when they came to their father, he said, why have you come back so soon today? So they said, an Egyptian, they still think Moses is an Egyptian, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. What is more, he even drew water for us and, and watered the flock. And he said to the daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you have left this man behind? Invite him in, let's, let's give him something to eat. And Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he goes on to tell you what the son was named. And, uh, and, and it says... Uh, for he said, I have been a sojourner in, in a foreign land, which is what the name of the son meant. So, so we find out that Moses, this is all we hear about, but what did God do even in this 40 years? He gave him a wife. He gave him a son. Even in this obscurity, God was still taking care of Moses and was still showing him uh, favor. I love this. This this is a write down here, guys. Especially those of you that love quotes. John Luther, good character is more to be praised than outstanding talent. Good character is more to be praised than outstanding talent. And listen to this. And this is so. Don't miss this. Took me a long time to learn this. Talents are gifts. They're just God given. You know, I can't teach someone to run a four three forty. They either can or they can't. You know. If you're slow or fast, that's just a gift. If, you, if you're a good orator or you're not, that's a gift. So talents are really nothing to really get that fired up about other than just praising God for them. Because talents are nothing but gifts. Ah, but here it is. But character isn't given. Character isn't a gift. Character's got to be worked on. Character's got to be developed. So you say someone's talented. So what? Does he have any character? You ever been around that guy? The talented guy with no character. What good is he to anybody? My father is a coach. Used to talk about those people. You know what he'd say? They lay awake at night looking for ways to get you beat. They can have talent, but if they don't have character. You can't trust them. They're going to do something at some point that's going to cost you, no matter how talented they are, if they lack character. So talent is a gift, but character is built piece by piece through choices, through courage, 
through determination, and there's no better place to build character than in the bleak, gray sands of obscurity. If you want to find a place where character gets built, it's in obscurity. It's when nobody cares who you are. It's when you're not important, according to the world. That's when you start building character. Look, man, when, 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 the ro- when everything's going the way you want it to go, when, everything, when the world loves you and the crowds are cheering, you don't build any character there. You might work on humility. You might work on how to control pride, but you're not building character. Character is built what? When you're down and out, man. When you gotta, when you got to persevere through something. And you got you got to show who you really are. Now I've heard people say that you know the, these bad things in life they don't build character they reveal character. I'm sure there's there's some that almost makes you think though that character is some sort of gift. I'm not sure I always agree with that. I do think that character is built in tough times. It's not just revealed. Now if you want to say that that all these situations sometimes amplify where you currently are, I'm for that. But I got news for you. I have built character. Through, through trials and tribulations that I didn't just have. That's just true. So the next thing that, that we go through is what? Remedial waiting. Oh, let me tell you something. Help me, y'all. Pray for me. I'm an impatient man. I'm an impatient man. Uh, I mean, you ought to see me, boy. You see, I, I, no way I go to Italy without my tickets already bought to the Coliseum. No way. No how. I ain't standing in that line. No way am I standing out here. You know, I got to know where's the, hey, how do we get moving? I, I, there's nothing hit me worse to realize that how did I not get TSA pre-approved? How did I end up in the regular line where they're checking everybody? That line over there doesn't have anybody in it. If I just gone online and got that done, I'd be in that line. I cannot stand to wait. I want to know what we're doing. I want to know what we're doing right now. You know what that is? That's sin. That, that is how God works. Let me tell you what God does not have, a fast pass. He ain't got one. I'd like to get a fast pass to go ahead and figure out what you're doing. I don't sell those. You think I'm going to go to a theme park without a fast pass? You're out of your mind. You could, you could, you know what? I think I would lose my house in order to have a fast pass. That you could tell me whatever price it is, I, I got to have it. You know, Rick, that's not very responsible. Can't you just stand in line? I can't. I got to have that. I'll take an extra job to get a fast pass. And uh, so, but, but, but God does not work that way. God, listen to this. And that's the reason why I gave you all the 40 a minute ago. God took 40 years to build Moses' character. 40. Now, don't just let that number go by. That, that means that, that he was 40, and God's not going to use him again until he's 80. Now, certainly the process, he's, God's building him up. But as far as giving him something to do that we would consider a big deal, he's got 40 years. Boy, God loves that number 40, doesn't he? I, I, I can remember this so vividly that my wife, on my 40th birthday, and how about this? I'll tell you, I have no desire to go back to be younger than 40. I don't like me up to 40. I, 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 I like me from 40 on so much better than, than anything up to 40 because of who God is. I don't have any desire to be younger than 40. I like me at 54 better than I like me at 40. You know, and I'll tell you something y'all are not going to believe that I was shocked by when you start talking about this timing. He's wasted until Moses is 80. But anyway, so at 40, that's when Sherry told me that she was pregnant with Bronner on my 40th birthday. And I said on that day, I look through the Bible and I see the number 40. God uses 40 to prepare people for what's next. I feel like God's preparing me 
for what he has next, and I'm thankful that he's refined me for the next four. He's got me ready for something. We had me ready for burying a two-and-a-half-year-old boy. Because you know what he said? Don't do it till he's 40. We, we do this before 40. He, he, he won't come through. We, we, I got to get him ready. I got to put him out into the desert, and I got to get him ready for this. And then I'm going to use that to get him ready for the next thing. And so when, when you look at remedial waiting, Moses was on the wrong timetable when he killed the Egyptian. He was on the wrong timetable. We may be in a hurry, but God isn't. He'll move us at the right pace. And how about this? Even when we feel we're off schedule, God reminds us we are not on our schedule. We are on his. So, hey, Rick, Mr. Impatient, I don't care if you feel like you're not on your schedule because your schedule don't mean anything. Let me tell you whose schedule you better be on God's schedule. And, man, he'll drag. But it don't seem like that to us, though. I mean, to, to, we really think he's, that, but to him, you think it's, hey, he is time. That's the thing that people misunderstand so much. That's why you people get off in these arguments about Calvinism and Arminianism and, and predestiny and free will and choices. You're trying to make God answer to time. You don't answer to time. He is time. So when I say, man, that took a long time, God says, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean? I am time. So what you have to get to, your, to the point is when God has you waiting, don't waste it. Keep anticipating what he has you waiting for. And that he's, you know what we need to do? Let's all today, thank the Lord today. Will you please do this? I'm going to do it with you. Let's thank the Lord today that he didn't get on our calendar. Because you know what? We were wrong. Our timing's always wrong. But his timing is right. So when you say he's delaying, no, he's not delaying. He's getting to the right time. It's not a delay. Not to him. We call it a delay. You know, I've been praying about this. I know it hadn't happened yet. Well, good. It's not on the right time. Man, I really wanted to, an opportunity to do this. Have you ever thought you should have been placed in a position at a time and it didn't happen? And then when you got there, you're like, well, no wonder he didn't let me have this till now. I couldn't handle it. And he knew it, even though I was certain that I was ready for something that we weren't ready for. He's our Father, and what He does is right. Okay? And so what He says, what? He says, we have time. I love this. Great quote from Farrar here. We have time. You always have time because we belong to Jesus Christ, and He literally has all the time in the world. We keep time by Him. Think about that. And here's what I want to tell you especially for those you like me that are getting a little older. Getting a little older. Did you know that studies are beginning to show that the most productive time of a man's life is in his 60s? In his 60s. It's not his 20s. What a bunch of idiots we're in our 20s. We're a little less idiot in our 30s, but still an idiot. Then we're getting a little bit better in our 40s. Our 50s, we're starting to get there now. But, by, but in our 60s and 70s, we, we've already been taught so much by God. And there's some things you ain't going to learn any other way than what? Age. Just get older. Get wiser. No wonder he says, and some of y'all say amen, no wonder he says white hair. Don't, that white hair means something. 
I was so glad to see gray get in my beard. Somebody says, you gonna, you gonna change, you, you gonna color your beard where all those gray spots are? I said, I earned this, man. <laughs> I, I'm finally starting to know something. So, so don't ever think you're running out of time. God's timing's perfect. You know what? I would rather get a lot done in the last 20 years of my life than to cause all the damage I caused up to that point. Sometimes the worst thing you can give me is a lot of time. That's too much time for me to mess up. I remember one time talking to this boy. This is going to blow your mind, and I didn't plan on this day, but I want to tell you this. And it's a sad story, but he has, he has such a great attitude about it. His daddy was a bad man, a real bad man. But his daddy actually finally came to know Christ. But up to that point, his life was nothing but wicked and evil. And in the process of leaving his girlfriend that he left his family for and coming back to his wife and back to his children, the woman that he had been adulterous with killed him. I mean, here's this big moment. This guy repents. He turns his life around. His kids are like, Daddy's coming home. The wife's like, my husband's coming home, and he gets murdered. And you know what this, and this is one of my dear friends in life, you know what he said? See, God knew my daddy wasn't going to be able to do it. He wasn't going to stick to it. He let my daddy repent of his sins and be redeemed, and he killed him. Because my daddy couldn't be given that kind of time. He knew my daddy too well, and he showed mercy. Because really what I care about is my daddy being in heaven. And my daddy probably wasn't going to be a very effective man of God. And God knew it. You know, you, you see this even many times when Paul's writing to Corinth. You know, he says, he doesn't say these people's salvation is a jeopardy, but when people started being bad examples of, 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 of the faith, he says, that's why some of them's dead. Y'all were doing stuff in the church and you wouldn't correct it. And the way you were living, claiming you belonged to him, was so damaging, he killed them. Now, that didn't say that those people's salvation was destroyed or where their eternity was spent, but he knew that for them to continue on was not going to be effective. You know, think about John the Baptist. He did it. He, he went at that. I love I heard this old pastor say one time, speaking to some young pastors, he said, John the Baptist wandered around in the wilderness for 20 years to preach for six months. Some of y'all want, want to be taught for six months so you can preach for 20 years. And you know what, you know what he said? Hey, I got to become less so he can become more. God said, you are correct. You are correct. Six months is all I needed from you. I prepared you for 20 years. You, you did everything perfect for six months, but there's confusion about who to follow. You said it out of your own mouth, inspired by me. Your head has been, been cut off. You're now coming home. Now my son's ministry goes forward with no confusion. What he does is right. And his timing is always right. Then the next one is what? Intermediate loneliness. When Moses had to flee, he had to sever all ties to everyone, including his family. Don't forget, God had set it up that even though he ended up in the reeds and taken in by Pharaoh's daughter, remember, she needed a, a wet nurse, and Moses actually got to still have a relationship with his mother, and, and we assume that also meant that he had a relationship with his family. But not now. We, we, not now. He, he's, he's been cut off from everybody. Uh, and I, I like this, he had no family, he had no followers, but God didn't put him in the desert to lead, but to be led. Somebody say amen to that. See, there comes a time when we don't need to be leading anybody. We just need to be led. 
And so what he said, look, you're a great leader. You got all this power. You got all this prestige. The only way I'm ever going to get you, Moses, to where I need you to be, to, to, you're, I'm not going to let you lead anybody right now because in order for you to then correctly lead, you got to first be led. Somebody say amen to that. See, none of us are ready to lead our homes. We're not ready to lead our children. We're not ready to lead in vocation unless we're first willing to be led by God. We're not any good to anybody. Remember what I've said before. If you're not a devout follower of Christ, you're not a blessing to your family. If you're not in the authority of Jesus, you ain't nothing but a hassle. You're a distraction. You're a problem. Everybody's trying to work around. Ain't nothing sadder to see that. So first, if we want to lead, we got to be led. And so God moved Moses off by himself to get his undivided attention. Don't, don't waste that time. Loneliness can creep in. The adversary loves to use loneliness. Okay, and that doesn't mean you, you're any less a follower of Christ if you ever get lonely or you ever get depressed. We see throughout the Bible that some of the most devout men at times struggled with loneliness and depression. God loved Jeremiah. You, you, want, you, want, you, want, you want a little sting in your eye right now? I had a brother tell me this other day, and it moved me. He said, think about Jeremiah. All the misery he went through, all the rejection, all the loneliness, all the depression. And he, he had to wonder, is any of this matter? Because he was never shown that it mattered. Not, not, not before, he, not before he, he died. He never saw success other than just being obedient to God and saying, you burn up in my bones. I can't stop talking about you. But listen to this. Oh, this is big. But then go back to when Jesus said, who does everybody say I am? Guess who made the list? Jeremiah. Think about that. All that Jeremiah went through. And when the, mo and when the disciple says, well, here's some people they think you might be. John the Baptist back from the dead. Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. So now Jeremiah is being linked to somebody as powerful as Jesus. So you think about that. So don't take these times and squander them. There comes a time when God will do what he has to do to get our undivided attention. God may have cut him off from his family, his friends, but he then brought him that wife. He brought him a son. And this is good. Isolation is always a time to get to know God better. I'm telling you, y'all, somebody who's a little mouthy, I've been talking my head off since I was a little boy. My mom would tell you that. I would never shut up. And, and, and I, have, I, I went down to our farm by myself, the farm that God gave us, knowing what we were going to go through. And it's just a place of refuge for us. And I was down there, and it was so quiet. It was so wonderful. And I was ready to start talking again, talking to God. And I heard so clearly, shh, just shut up. Don't, don't say anything. Just listen. Just be quiet and listen. There's no show. There's no commitments. There's no noise right now. I want you to just listen for me in the wind. Just listen. And I really, literally, I felt the Holy Spirit said, I don't want to hear you pray right now. I don't want to hear you talk. Just listen. Just be taught. Let me talk to you. Let me teach you. Let me speak to you. And man, when you have those moments, they're wonderful. There's a, there's a supernatural peace that comes over you that's unbelievable. 
So don't let the adversary use these things as loneliness. Let, let, let this time of us being um, isolated be times that God has our attention. You've heard me talk about after I buried my son and I was telling God I couldn't. Here I was, this the wrong kind of self-esteem, the wrong kind of confidence. I got to get back on my feet. I got to get back to the show. I got to get out there and do this. I got to be there for my wife. All those things are good. But what God was saying is, I want to get you to the point that you're asking me to tie your shoes. And he did. I, I just need you to, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I need you to help me tie. I can't tie my shoes. I've never thought of, I've never, guys, you, maybe you've been there. I couldn't physically, and that's not my personality, and that certainly isn't the Burgess way. Suck it up and tie your shoes, man, and get up and go back to work. But I couldn't. And God knew that he had to get me to a place of bearing a son, that that was the only way he was going to teach me what he needed to teach me. Because he knew me because he made me. And he knew my flaws, and he knew, he knew what he could build in me. He knew both. And you know what he said? The only way I'm ever going to get him is I might have to kill one of his kids. And we do that, we'll get him where he needs to be. And i got to tell you, I, when you start having to depend on God to breathe and depend on God to tie your shoes, and you don't have any idea what's going to happen next, it's wonderful. Because I promise you the little things in the world don't matter to you anymore. And you really only, only thing you care about is getting to know him better. Because he's the answer to every question. And he's willing to love us enough to do that. And he did it for Moses. Moses felt like a failure. But God was simply pulling him out into the desert to develop his character. He still had a plan for Moses. And he was still going to work that plan. But he was getting Moses ready to fulfill it. And we know that he did, right? Amen. Uh, Miles Stanford had a, has a, I love this on, uh, if you, in your book, it's, I think it's on page 185 somewhere. But um, this, is, this is a great quote. He said, many believers are simply frantic over the fact of failure in their lives. And they will go to all lengths in trying to hide it, ignore it, or rationalize about it. And all the time they are resisting the main instrument in the Father's hand for conforming us in the image of His Son. See, we, we don't like to even talk about failure. We, we'll, we'll rationalize it, we'll ignore it, we'll try to hide it, we'll cover it. And he said, but what you're doing is you're taking away one of the greatest tools that God has in His arsenal to conform you to be more like His Son through the desperation of failure, through, through, through understanding about God's plan changing, understanding about what you thought was the right thing isn't God's plan at all, and saying, Lord, I can't figure this out. I just need you. There, there, there's nothing that builds character more or gets us more refined than when God says, let me see you through failure. Let me see you through disappointment. Let me see you through pain. Let me see you through suffering. Remember that First Peter 1 uh, 6 and 7, in this you rejoice that now for a while, if necessary, please, that's so much in that you've been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. So God may find it necessary. 
and you rejoice in the fact because you start anticipating what he's going to do in it. And you do realize that's so counterculture to the world because it's the way God sees things. And that's the way we should see things. Everyone fails, but true failure is the one who doesn't learn anything from it. Ooh. Everybody fails. Nobody has ever gone through life undefeated. But true failure, true failure is when we don't learn anything from it. When you're in the midst of a desert, the fastest way out of the desert is to ask God to let you learn everything he has for you in that experience. Stay open-minded and teachable. God isn't trying to ruin you in these moments. He's trying to rebuild you. He loves to use those who are dependent completely on him. And this is it. And if you are the self-sufficient, confident type, usually this lesson doesn't come easy. Usually it doesn't come easy. You remember our brother who's here with us when he can, Rich Wingo? He understood this completely when he went through one of his trials and tribulations. He's the first guy I'd ever heard say that. For me to pray that God does not release him from the suffering he was in until he had learned everything God wanted him to learn. First person I ever heard say that. I understand it now, though. If you want to get out of it, say, God, hold me here until I've learned everything you want me to learn. And then he'll move you to the next thing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for us to, to, to just just hear this important lesson about failure and disappointment and, and destruction sometimes in our lives. Those of us that are under your authority, you are, you are, you are right with us. I, I can hear the words of my beautiful wife when, when, when we went through, went through with our youngest son, and she says, many people ask where you are in the middle of our suffering. And my wife wonderfully said correctly, you're right in the middle of it. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to teach us what you're trying to teach us and refine us into the people that only you can make us so that we're ready, Lord, to accomplish in your time your will for our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you.